All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What was that rocket? What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? DJ Nibis. Episode 91 of the Hordes of Chaos on the Metal Town Radio Podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing alright. We had some fun yesterday putting together our new shed. Yeah. <laughs> Took a little longer than we might have thought. Well, the instructions... That's always how it is. Instructions are never quite clear. And the pictures were not so great, and we're like trying to do it. <laughs> and we're like, um, hmm. And... So then we said, okay, what would make sense? Let's let's try to put it together. And then we realized. Well, I think that's the other thing. Like sometimes when you get something that you're gonna put together, it doesn't matter if it's furniture or whatever. They'll they'll put like stickers on. It says, okay, this is your in case BB or DD, uh, like bolts or whatever it mm-hmm. is. Ours weren't labeled at all. I mean, luckily we had like a diagram on the the instruction sheet to figure out what was what, but. When it came to like putting certain parts up there, we weren't sure if it was upside down, the other way around. Eventually, we found out we put something upside down. We put down. all the brackets on upside down. We're like, huh, whoops. Yeah, we're like, this isn't going to work the way we have it, so it's got to be the other way. But, uh, yeah, so that was kind of an interesting day. But it looks good. We got it done without any real big hassles and should prevent our trash cans from blowing away. Whatever it is, we get some crazy weather in Maryland sometimes, and it's like the winds are just nuts. And so somehow, even with the bricks that we had around it, like they would find a way to fly off. And I've got all the recycling in there too, like yeah. all the I broke. Oh, you broke the box. I down. broke the box down because they're not going to take that box by itself. So I, I broke the. That's why I was getting the. Well, they might take it. I mean, if it's re, if it's 
It is recyclable, right. but it's so big. I, I, you know how they bitch about our one trash can. If it's too heavy or if it's too big, they won't take it. And we're like, we're trash men. Do your fucking job, man. Come on, man. Heavy lifting's part of the job. It's not even heavy. No, it's not. Just stick it in there and let it destroy. Jesus. But, I mean, I actually like it. I think it looks like a cute little cottage in our backyard, and it... It's, I well, I used to have a shed when we first moved in, but I it was out I, of wood, but it was rotting. We got termites in the shed, so we had to break that shit down. Yeah, it was getting pretty nuts. Anywho, uh... Home life. <laughs> yeah, so, have some new music coming your way. I, I, I was listening to music this week. I didn't get to everything I wanted to, just because that's just how it is sometimes. But So I got a lot of older classic stuff in here as well. Uh, but we have new stuff from uh, Accuser, which is really good. Dark Spell. Um, also got some Appalachian Winter. Really happy about that. Fractal Generator. Got more of that. Soul Burn. Black Tusk. Our rock block is looking really good. Yes. Uh, your pick's a little interesting. I had to listen to it. And I'm like, is it more pop than rock? It's, but then, but no, then, it's like prog rock almost. Well, it's... Gabriel kind of teeters on that. That's the thing, interesting thing about him. Of course, we just gave away your pick. Sort but of. you don't know what song. He spans over many, many decades. Right. So when I was listening, to it, I was like, okay, I can see how some of this is like classic rock vibe stuff. So I get it. Um, and he's one of those artists that like dabbles like Gary Newman on the whole pop versus, you know, rock thing. So And experiments it, with different sounds and soundscapes. Yeah, he's a he's an interesting artist. Um, I think I thought we'd watch something on him a while back. We did when he he had his studio in for the in album. Lund so yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it was very interesting how he put it together. And you would actually, at the time, you wouldn't think that it was like that much thought put into it at the time, as far as like the lyrics and everything else. But as you listen to him talk about, it, it's like wow, that's what that means. Oh, okay. And, and that's you know our. Uh wedding song yeah. is in your eyes yeah so i have a soft spot for peter gabriel but we'll get to him he's a good artist i like him um got some topics coming your way uh information on killer be kill in fact we'll be having some new stuff for them next week on our podcast i actually have the album but i have not heard it yet uh talk a little bit about blood of zeus uh ne neko didn't get a chance to watch this animated series i don't even i was know. watching it a little bit with you remember and i was like this is not meant for children at all no, I, no it's, it's, it's actually designed for adults so that's, that's the thing. It's, a, it's an adult anime so uh if you are fans of like heavy metal movie um you know just more mature uh what's it vampire hunter d stuff like that that this kind of falls in that line a little bit uh we talked a little more about Scientology. Uh, we were started watching this series, so we're going to get into that a little bit more. And then, of course, a documentary we watched on Tower Records and the whole music thing. So that's going to be pretty interesting as well. Uh, we're going to kick off our first block, though. A lot of uh, old school stuff coming your way. Got some concrete aging here, obituary. Going to break it off, though. Necrophagia reborn through Black Mass. Satan, 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 our Lord and Master, I acknowledge thee as my God and Prince. I promise to serve and obey thee as long as I shall live. I renounce thee as a God and all the saints.
Send you to your grave Smooth around the side Read you on your lips Because when we actually moved in together, this was probably 2003 or four when we moved in together. We, in our apartment, we couldn't even get signal. You'd have to go outside of the entire apartment building. Now, granted, this is a long time ago. My sister has T-Mobile now, and she. Dude, I remember when we had T-Mobile when I was working at corporate. I had my little clip on, which I really liked a lot, but 
I'd be driving down like in Beltsville and stuff like that and like it'd be difficult to get signal mm -hmm. sometimes because of certain areas. Well my sister now has T-Mobile and granted they have a ton of phones because they have a big family and they have you know a huge but we are Android people and maybe I'll switch back to iPhone I don't know I haven't made the decision yet I was I've gotten real um, disappointed in Apple lately and this started probably seven years ago. I was, I've been on the smartphone bandwagon since the first iPhone. I've had a, a smartphone longer than everyone in my family. And um, so now everyone in my family have iPhones and I, Scott and I, oh sorry, DJ Anubis and I have... Um, it's not like you don't know who I am. Yeah, it's not like you don't know who he is. <laughs> DJ Anubis and I have Androids and we've had Androids for about the last seven years, maybe a little bit longer. And my sister, when she tries to call me from inside of her house, uh, my family's really big into doing FaceTime, but she can't do that because I don't have an Apple. She could do Facebook Messenger chat, but because T-Mobile is so bad in her house, she has to like go outside if she wants to make an actual phone call to me. So that's why most of our calls and stuff are done through Facebook because her internet is better than her actual cell phone service in her own house. And uh, T-Mobile has an amazing um, international plan, but my fear with that is if I get somewhere and I get zero signal, I AT&T has a pretty decent international plan and it is, you know, a little expensive, but I've never been anywhere where I can't get signal and I can't get to call home. And that was a big thing for me was, and for us, we're down here in the basement. We're in a basement and we have 5G all of our bars. It's not like that with T-Mobile, I've noticed. So, but anyway, they're, they're advertising all these free phones, free phones. And I started looking into it and technically, yeah, the phone is free. They'll give you a credit every month. So they're going to show like you're paying for the phone, but then they'll credit it off of your bill. But if you cancel early, just like any other, you would owe them the entire price mm -hmm. of the phone. Yeah. So I don't know. We've been I've been dabbling with um, that whole thing, especially for you because you're ready to get a new phone. So if you uh, if you were thinking about going iPhone route, it's a lot different than Android, and you've never had an iPhone. Um, you would you know you I'd be fine because I'm not leaving AT and T. I'd be fine with you doing that little you know, thing if you wanted to, but you'd have to, you'd have to sign up for the full length of the contract and you'd have to, yeah, anywho. <laughs> yeah I know, I know I'm boring everybody. We're, I'm in a ranting mode. Yeah. I'm in a ranting mood today, but back to blood of Zeus on Netflix. Yeah. So Netflix, of course, creates their own adult animated television series. I don't know how long it's going to go. I didn't really know much about it before it started. Um, is it based on anything, or is this a, a... Oh, it's it's definitely Greek mythology now. No, I mean, like, is there an actual comic or anything that they're basing it off of, or did somebody write this for Netflix? I think it was written for Netflix, because they actually, the main uh, hero character, uh, Heron, uh, is a character created just for the show. Oh, okay. But they do make reference to, like, Perseus and Hercules mm -hmm. and stuff like that. I love like stuff this. like that. And, and I, right. I took Latin for so many years. I love all the uh, the mythology and it's kind and of And really, the whole thing plays out a lot, like, from what I've read about the mythology itself. So you got basically Zeus, who 
was known to be a philanderer uh, amongst the gods. He had like seven wives. Yeah, and of course uh, Hera, who is his wife. wife. His main, that's that's first wife. Right, so that's the voice is being played by Claudia Christian, who is really the most familiar name I know from, you know, any of the actors or actresses portraying the film. But obviously uh, Zeus goes down and bangs a a mortal woman. That happens all the time. Right, and then... uh, Ends up having a kid, or two kids, actually. Uh, and then, of course, the, you know, Hera's very upset. And thus, you know, starts her like, you know, I'm going to tear down Zeus. And it becomes this big war. And, of course, the, the kids, when they're really young, are split up. So the king, who initially was married to the woman that uh, Zeus banged, uh, takes one kid but didn't want the kid that actually was part of uh, Zeus himself, which is Heron. And uh, down the road, of course, there's this darker energy, which uh, I forget what they call them. Um, I, forgive me, I forget what they were called, but uh, the one son from the king who had been raised and had a hard life growing up ends up transforming into this, like, God himself in a way because he still has some of that blood in him and he's pretty much a badass but he's just very dark very hateful very vengeful everything else and he doesn't really know the whole story because you know Hera's been lying to him and you know plotting with him against Zeus uh, and telling him that Zeus and his you know because the guy ends up I'm like actually I won't give that away but <laughs> Uh, there's a clash, obviously, between the brothers, uh, and, you know, it, it's really, really well done. I think it's, like, eight or nine episodes. Don't know exactly how far it's gonna go as far as the series, but it was pretty, uh, successful. I saw people talking about it on Facebook. I didn't know much about it, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll give it a shot, because I do love, like, the original Clash of the Titans, which deals a lot with that kind of, uh, mythology, uh, Perseus and whatnot, the, the Kraken and all that. So I hear that there's going to be a season two. Uh, it's the, um, the one of the writers says they have a 20-page outline for season two, and it's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be m- much of the story of Zeus, Hades, and Poseidon. So it, it might be kind of like a retrospective for season for season two about how all of this brought to where season one started. Well, now it's sort of the thing was that when Hera started her war with Zeus, she was able to kind of fool a lot of the other gods, especially Poseidon and uh, Hades, into you know thinking Zeus was out of line because they had this rule as gods that they were not to interfere with the fates of the humans. But they always did. But Zeus uh, couldn't help himself at times. And so what ended up happening was, even though behind the scenes, Hera had already started her own, you know, messing around with what was going on, she was able to fool a lot of the other gods. And Poseidon, who was like Zeus's brother, I think Hades is too, uh, managed to like convince them that Zeus was in the wrong. So at first, there's like this really big, clash with mm-hmm. the brothers and whatnot and Poseidon didn't want to fucking get involved <laughs> and it was just like this ongoing you know craziness going on uh eventually they saw that Hera was like f- fucking out of her mind and a crazy bitch and so there, this big war happens towards the end and again I won't give too much away but it, it's certainly worth checking out uh if you like Greek mythology and all that and you like anime because it's really well done 
like I said, it's all in kind of the same vibe you would get from like the heavy metal movie or you know Vampire Hunter D, mm-hmm. uh, Ninja Scrolls, shit like that. You know. So if you're into that kind of stuff, check it out. It is very, very violent and very bloody. They uh, they really, really do kind of stick stick to their you know they're not. It is not meant for children. It is it is a lot of yeah. I haven't. There wasn't any like, you know. I don't think there was any boobies or anything. <laughs> Maybe I just kind of get so used to shit that that didn't really phase me. But, I mean, there is blood. There are, there are crazy stuff like that. But there's sexual themes, but nothing that's going to be like, you know... Like, I thought Heavy Metal was far more nudity than what we saw with this. But uh, either way, it is designed for adults, and we deserve stuff every once in a while. We do. I mean, I'm just wondering, you said you found it on one of your Facebook groups, was it, um... Well, it wasn't a group, I actually saw Rick Smith and Steven, they're the Bronco they love, fans. Yeah, they love the anime, yeah. Yeah, so they were talking about it, and that's basically how we got in, I got into it, but, uh, Neko has been sort of rehashing Dexter right now, and I've been waiting, because I'll probably join her when it gets to the final season, just because I don't remember much about that season, but, uh, other than the ending. Ever since they announced that they're gonna, um what do you call it, come back with Dexter? I wanted to rewatch it because it's been so long, and I don't even think I watched the uh, final season. You didn't. So I'm like, ah, oh. and I'm seeing things that I forgot happened, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. I'm also, this is, uh, it's kind of a girly show, so he's not into it. There's a couple of episodes that I was going to, like, show him because he would actually like them. It's the show This Is Us, and... Um, one of the episodes is about their fandom of the the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, granted, we're Bronco fans, but just seeing, like, he... There was a whole episode about how much the husband loved watching the Steelers, and the wife was like, okay, then, if you're going to watch football, then teach me. And that's basically what I said to <laughs> Anubis, because, like, I never watched football. I just didn't care about it. And I was like, well, if you're going to watch it, then teach me about it. And, like, you see by the end how, like, the whole family is just this diehard Steelers, you know, family. And um, even the kids were conceived the night that the Steelers won the Super Bowl. It was, it was just a cute episode. But I'm watching This Is Us, and I know that's been out for a while, and it's a huge show. But I've I've never seen it, and one of the actors is from the show Gilmore Girls, which I absolutely love and watch over and over. But it's kind of crazy that I'm not watching Gilmore Girls right now. I'm busy watching two other shows and a new show. You know, yeah, I don't... you're really uh, dived in. You've been clicking along with Dexter, I think. You're probably on season four or something. No, I'm only on season two, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, I... I, Seems like you've been cruising further, but I forget how many episodes there are in a season. And they're long episodes. All of them are about an an hour. hour. And I also, like, I'm famous for... I'm going to watch TV and fall fall asleep on the couch. She does that a lot. So I forget what I watch, so I have to go backwards a couple of episodes and then be like, all right, this is where I need to start so I can remember what I was watching. (laughs) So that's my that's my move. If I want to fall asleep, all I have to do is turn on the TV. Like Anubis hates it, but last night we were what was the movie that we were watching? Uh I just fell right asleep. It was just it's great. The TV puts me right to sleep, but he'll watch TV. Actually, it was something interesting, but then like I just started getting I knew it was getting late and I was getting tired, but it was interesting. I had already fallen asleep. And he turned off the TV. Like, I think it's something we'd seen before, just not in a long time. I, I forget what it was, but... Oh, 
Train Spotting. Yes. We were watching Train Spotting. Yeah, actually, I have not seen. I've seen parts of it. I still right now. I still haven't seen it all the way through because I went to bed early. But uh, well, the thing is, there's so many actors in that. One of the things I was laughing about last night was one of the characters actually plays the lead role in Dog Soldiers, which happened like five years after Train Spotting. But then you also have Ewan McGregor in there. Uh, and uh, Johnny Lee Miller, who ends up playing Sherlock in Elementary. Oh, wow. So you got all these guys that at the time, just no one knew who the fuck they were. But uh, obviously they all went on to do certain... You know, the guy that was in Dog Soldiers, I think is McKid is his last name, but uh, I, don't, I don't think he really went to do anything major that I can think of. But uh, Yeah, but you love Dog Soldiers. Yeah, that's one of my top five horror films of all time. So obviously it, it plays a part. But I'm sitting there looking, and I want to see these accents and their faces. I'm like, I know that You're guy. You're like, I know his mannerisms. Yeah. So I know this guy. Uh, but yeah, Transpiring, you know, it's one of those weird-ass movies, and there's some dark stuff in it as well. It's a lot of dark stuff. I mean, you saw that flop house that they were living in. The kid, the little baby oh, and stuff like that. That's because yeah. they ignored the baby, and <laughs> yeah. she forgot she had the baby, and it died. That's so. what happens when you're doing heroin, boy. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, you know, um... <laughs> That's and I have to finally sit down just with it and watch it entirely. But all right, well, let's get back into music. Get into the music. Uh, classic stuff from Muljord and Vector in here, but I have some new stuff from Cuser. I really like the new record. But here's Muljord doing the streams of Light Gone Dark.
anime from Darken and you are listening to the Horse of Chaos only on Metal Tavern Radio. DJ Nibis. All right. So uh, I'll let you lead in this because it's your deal. <laughs> it's my topic. So I don't know if a lot of people are like me, but I don't really watch the news. I kind of just read my, um, I have my Google feed and it kind of takes a little bit of what I've been searching, what I, what I like. It kind of, it, it you know, it, it's proving that computers are smarter than us and learning about me and I um I really like the show Sex in the City that's another one of my uh, guilty pleasures that I watch over and over and what's great about that show is um there the episodes are quick and they're funny and I know a lot of people say it doesn't really hold up you know kind of to modern standards but I, you have to think about the time that it kind of came out you can say that about a lot of shows but well, for the time that it came out and what they were discussing and dealing with it was it was pretty you know quote unquote groundbreaking there was not really a um a show out that had women being so frank and open about their well, sex think, lives you know i think people say it doesn't hold up because they want to believe that everyone or especially women like in the case of Carrie that like they wouldn't be so wrapped up in a one guy, but then you, you're kind no, of... No, the reason they say it doesn't hold up is because the show's about four white women, and it, they think it should be more inclusive, and then when they do deal with race, it's a little bit of a touchy thing, and it's very stereotyped when they do kind of deal with race. Like, Samantha dates a black guy that she really likes, but it does kind of turn into, like, a trope. Like, well, I think even Miranda was banging She was with, uh, yeah... Uh, he was really hot too, but they they say that when they it, it's just non inclusive and whatever. But I kind of that was definitely a product of the times, though. Yeah, I mean. but I also I'm gonna flip the switch and say for wealthy because they're all very wealthy, like either old money or their own money or whatever. They all have a lot of money. Four wealthy white women are gonna hang out with other wealthy white women. It it's sad to say, but. Yeah, they're it's very. It's, some of them are very wealthy, like old money wealthy, like Charlotte. Her whole yeah. family was wealthy for a long time, and she's very waspy. It's uh, that's just how Charlotte. But so a lot of people think if some something was like that was made today, it really wouldn't hold up. And I agree, nothing like that would be made today. But I also, logically speaking. Very, four very wealthy white women probably would hang out with other wealthy white women cause, in New York because that's just their mindset. Now, I'm not wealthy, so I have no idea, but they you know, they hang out the same like certain social clubs and so certain social environments, and you see it's like a very... It is a very, very white show. And, wow. it's, and when they but deal with certain things like bisexuality, they feel like... They feel like Carrie, who is a sex columnist, should be a little bit more open because she was dating a bisexual guy and she made a comment that, uh, you know, you can't be bisexual. It, 
Stop it. He, my husband is distracting me. But he, with, with Chick- that, that was my dick. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ooh. No, it was Chick-fil-A mac and cheese. That should look good. <laughs> now, they're saying that, like, Carrie made a comment, and again, this is, you know, the year 2000, so it's 20 years ago, she made a comment about, you know, she doesn't believe bisexuality exists, you're either gay or you're straight. So a lot of things that were said back in 2000 are not really said now in 2020. Well, you know what I mean. (laughs) Because that's my point, is that we tend to, like, overanalyze stuff, especially shows. Now, if you're going to, like, I've done this before, like, you know, like you said, this show, when it was created, it wasn't quite as inclusive with, like, people of color or the topics at hand. But I say the same thing about Harry Potter, when J.K. first was allowing them to become the books become movies they had some people of color in it in different genders and races but none of them were the primary uh characters in the sh- in the show uh now that doesn't mean that jk doesn't like okay with like you know the black hermione that happened a few years ago on the stage and all that but and even now if they decided to reboot sex and say they probably would be a lot more inclusive in terms of their actual casting but I really hope they don't because But the the reality is is that people make too many assumptions that this group of gals, despite all being white, that they didn't have black friends, black uh boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever, uh we don't get to see that because the show doesn't necessarily dive that deep into it's it. It's more about their relationships. Right. It's all about sex. So while their little group and clique was all white, doesn't mean that they were racist on any means. Uh, the show itself was created during a time where, yeah, from the, the behind-the-scenes thing, they weren't being as inclusive as they probably should. But then again, you could say that about any TV show back then that was being made. Um, I, I kind of hate to bring it up because like um what was the uh it was a all black show not the cosby show but uh do you remember the guy that played in dire the black cop the baldy guy big dude family matters is that what it was Uh yeah that was a great show but there wasn't too many white people in it so like you can make a complaint just about everywhere with any of these shows but i think people's complaints are it should be like everybody is together well, yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think we're becoming better at it when it comes to behind the scenes and stuff like that, and that's fine. Uh, that's the way it should be, but like we, like I said, for the time that it happened, we're just overanalyzing these characters saying, oh... Okay, you know, and they've if, gotten if, overanalyzed and, oh, because it's been around if, if for Car- so long. If Carrie's character is someone who doesn't feel that bisexuality is an actual thing... It could be, you could sit there and say, okay, well, she's wrong, but at the same time, she's entitled to that opinion as a character, or even a person. J.K. Uh, Rowling is getting butchered because she doesn't believe that transsexuals are actually, can be women. She doesn't treat it as such. She thinks she everything pre, is... pre-op or, like, post-op? Like, post-op. Like, she believes everything is, like, pre-gendered. That's the way I read it. Uh, and, of course, Emma and Daniel and Rupa, they all disagree with her, which is fine. But, I mean, if you literally had gender reassignment surgery, like, if I wanted to be a man and they gave me a penis, I would be a man. Like, I would be using my penis. But I understand <laughs> I understand her point of view because, in my mind, yeah, you can change your sex through science. 
But you were predetermined at birth to be a particular sex. Yeah, but if you do change it, like, would you want some big hairy dude going into the women's room and he's like, yeah, I was born a woman, but that's what I mean. Like, if you get it changed, it's legit changed. Right, but I'm just saying that she believes, like, there is a difference between what you were born as and what science can do for you. And I know that all kind of started because there was this big, um... With, with JK in, in the UK, um, especially with their, their National Health Service, um, there was, I, I don't want to call it an expose, but something with one of the big newspapers, they were interviewing people who had um, been, had gender reassignment surgery early in life. Like they took the hormones to suppress their, their hormones and as teenagers and then as they're getting older they're realizing that they were not happy with their decision so it was a big to do for a while um lots of articles coming out about it saying that you know you you shouldn't be able to make these kind of decisions until you're 21 or whatever but i think that kind of all happened when jk was making that statement because it was a really it was headlines in the uk and I well, think, and she's very revered because of her importance to not only UK but you know Harry Potter. Harry Potter is, a is big beloved. fucking deal, yeah. and I know people who are. And she is an advocate. She it's not like she doesn't speak out for the uh, lesbian gay community. Oh, but, I know a lot of the LBGTQ people are like, even though they were Harry Potter fans, they're they mad. They're not anymore, and I, I'm talking about hardcore Harry mm-hmm. Potter fans who are like, I'm not. Yeah, they have a hard time dealing with that, but, you know, at the same it's the time... Sa- it's the same thing we talk about, too, with, with musicians. You know, sometimes it's hard to take the person who created the music and separate it from their art. Personal view. Yeah, yeah. like, so it's hard for a lot of people with, with the Harry Potter books now because they're saying her personal views have kind of tainted the the material and... You know, you and I have always kind of been like, we try to keep that separate, and we get sometimes criticized for that, but I personally believe, like, yeah, I mean, I, the I, person I, who creates the music or the book is different from the actual product that you're... Right, and I mean, I can get it if you say to yourself, well, I'm not going to buy her books if I'm gay or lesbian because of her views, that's fine. However, mm-hmm. I think if we're going to treat... Everybody's individuals and everybody equally, and everyone should have a voice no matter what it is. Then, you know, JK certainly should be allowed to have her own viewpoints, even if you disagree with it. Um, I don't, you know, I may disagree. I, I don't, it's not so much on that, but if I disagree with an artist or an actor or whatever on something, uh, it doesn't mean I can't enjoy the work that they create. Um, We've talked about this at length before with the music part of it, but uh, but the one thing too, which interest, which is interesting, is because uh, Cynthia Nixon has come out who plays Miranda in Sex in the City. She has come out as gay, and um, she made this comment. I know J.K. Rowling feels she's standing up for feminism, but I don't get it because you know Cynthia came out as gay after Sex in the City, like way after Sex in the City ended. And um, she's also, she's. it says in this article, Cynthia Nixon is confused. We're dissecting J.K. Rowling's tweets about transgender women. And 
Nixon is gay, and now she has a 23-year-old transgender son, Samuel, and she's like, I've got all of this going on. I'm gay, and I have a transgender son, and it's hard for her to, like, even feel that the Harry Potter books are welcome in her house. It's it's just really interesting because... But see, that's the thing that I, I, I would explain to Cynthia is that you don't have to sit there and say to your, your kid, you know, the person that wrote this believes this. Like, there's really... Well, no... he's 23 now. He can look it up himself. Right, but I'm just saying, like, it, it's just the books that you're really reading into and the stories themselves have a good message. There isn't anything about the stories that says they're anti-gay or anything like that. So, you know... It, the lesson here is like, okay, yeah, we don't agree with the author on certain things, but if you're going to let that dictate your entire life, you're going to lose out. But I also feel sometimes with the um, the LBGTQ group, um, because they have been marginalized for so long, that's kind of what they hold on to because, you know, even today that a lot of protections have been put out there and it's obviously a lot different than 1960 when you could be arrested or people would kill you because you're gay they still feel like there's their you know their plight in the world plight's not the right word their <coughs> struggles thank you their struggles are not being taken seriously now there's a lot of progress that has happened clearly because gay people are not killed and they're not arrested and it's not a crime to be gay the way it used to be but i think when you are dealing with with that yourself you're kind of like okay well this person is now kind of like quote unquote the enemy because they're holding me back I don't know because well, I'm not gay. So yeah, but I see, don't, here's I don't the thing. JK that. is really not holding them back. She has a certain view, but she would still go to bat for any lesbian or gay person. That's the difference. And even for transsexuals, I think she would still go to bat for them. She may not agree with this, how it's done, but she's still an advocate. And I know people just look at her and say, well, you're saying this, but doing this. But the reality is, like, Again, we're coming back to the art that's being put out there. Unless she's out there in her books saying this stuff's bad and it's like reflecting because kids like these books mm -hmm. a lot. They're children's books. So if the books are conveying that message, I can see a bigger issue. But we have to stop like really saying, okay, well, this person has a particular viewpoint. Now we just need to disregard them completely. I, think, I just think that's short-sighted. I'm not saying that... The gay and lesbian community can't feel that way because, like you said, they've been marginalized for so long. But the reality is, like, we all have to be grown-ups here. We all have to be able to understand. Everyone has a point of different point of view. I think that too. Part of it is because of um, J.K. Rowling's stature in the world. Everybody knows who J.K. Rowling is. So when someone of that magnitude says something like that, it is particularly de detrimental for anyone. She could come out and say, like, uh, I don't know, white people are the devil, and I'm I'm going to go throw myself off a bridge because we are all... And, you know... But you know what? There'd be people out there be like, oh, great, awesome, go ahead and do it. Like, right. There are just enough people. There's there's just negative people everywhere. I think you're right. People are just, just yeah. super negative. Uh, but this is kind of... 
the opposite. And I found this article. Back to the news. Yeah. This was in my... The, actual, the news. We didn't mean to dive that far into it, but uh, that's where we went. This is what I mean by the news. I don't... want, And we kind of touched on the news, but I don't... Like, the news itself... Growing up, you, you remember mom and dad, dinner time, watch... I, that's not what I do. It's not what you do. We, we kind of gather our news from different sources and... Because we have certain interests, a lot of times our computers and our they they kind of yeah everything. they know that what we're looking for. So my my newsfeed knows I like metal, and it also knows I like Sex in the City. And this is like a tiny, tiny, tiny little article about Killer Be Killed. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't think that it really isn't like that huge of news in terms of like oh my god it's mind blowing, but, uh, but it was funny. It was because, really funny because Killer Be Killed has a new album. And Reluctant Hero, their sophomore record, which we talked about, will be playing, playing some, next, some week. next week. So I, I get this article, and Troy Sanders is is talking about how he loves Sex in the City, and I'm like, great, me too. And Golden Girls, and I the Golden Girls. Them. So if you go to wallofsoundau.com. And it's from November the 17th. Killer Be Killed, Sex in the City is basically what the, if you would want to search on it. Um, there's actual pictures where they like take the girls' heads and put them on the bands. And then they take the bands' heads and put them on the girls. So he was talking about like he who he is in the band. And he says he's going to be Carrie because he's the one doing the interview and he can say it's all about him, and Carrie is very self-centered, and she is all about her, and trust me, the way she treats her friends sometimes, like, she she will be the first person to drop everything to come help a friend. She did it many times in the series, but she's also the first person out of the series with the most problems, and who is always bothering her friends about problems. And um, Greg Pucci, how do you say his name? Pucciato. Pucciato. Yeah. He is the drummer, and he is Samantha, Samantha because Samantha, or no, he's not, no, Pucciato is not the drummer, I'm sorry. um, But he is, Samantha is, her love is sex, and she has no problem with having lots of sex. And that was another big deal back then, because, like, for now it's like, she's like queen, Mm because, like, freedom... Well, that's, you know, you know, feminism. Yeah. yeah. Like, women have always, and I mean, now it's a little bit more, you know, you, you tell your little girls you don't have to do ballet, you can play baseball. But still, even back in the late 90s, you're kind of like, women expressing themselves sexually, you're a slut. Okay, Samantha is... 40 years old. She can do whatever the fuck she wants. She's safe. She uses condoms. If she wants to have a new sex partner every night, that's her choice. And she she kind of bucked the norm. She never wanted to be married. She never wanted to have kids. She just wanted to grow her own business and have lots and lots of sex. Yeah, she had her own issues, like with, you know, commitment and stuff like that. But they, they dived into that. But then at the same time, she was quite content just being the free woman that she was. And that's... And that's you know, one part that is kind of like, she is very self-aware and she's like, this is me and this is what I want. And I like, 
I am not. Well, I don't know if that's what Troy was getting at with uh, Greg. I don't but know I think Greg maybe Greg is just a man whore or something. Maybe maybe Greg is like really into having sex, and he is like, "Yep, I am not tied down. I don't have kids. I'm not married." So I that's Greg's persona, according to Troy. Now Max would be Miranda. Miranda. Miranda was a lawyer, very smart, very witty, very sarcastic. Fiery little redhead. Fiery little redhead. She always, um, like, I always looked at her when I was younger thinking nobody wants to be Miranda. But now that I'm older, I'm like, girlfriend's got a beautiful apartment that she paid for by herself. She is opinionated. She is sarcastic. She never, ever, like sugarcoats anything even with Carrie who's always like oh my life is so hard I I need a new dress for this thing so that so-and-so sees me and one time when Miranda she Miranda had a baby in the series and Carrie's just talking to Miranda and she's like you know what Carrie why don't you call your friend Samantha who has time for all of this (laughs) I have a baby and like just hung up on her that is like I love Miranda. I love... She went to Harvard Law School. She, you know, she is... She is a strong woman, but yet she still enjoys being a mother and being a wife. And she changed herself completely 180 against what you would think she would ever be. And that's kind of fun. And I I kind of like that Max is Miranda. Ben, the drummer... I'm sorry I said that. Uh, Greg was the drummer. He uh, he said he's Charlotte. Now, Charlotte is the one who is very traditional, traditional straight-laced, waspy. If it, it, wasp means white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. It's very, you know, northern East Coast thing. Very, very, um, you would think snobby, but very, very rich. But she's also clearly hanging out with these wild girls, so she's got that little wild side. But Charlotte went to school... Uh, and majored in art history and business and she was the curator for a gallery for many many years before she got married or anything so maybe Troy is saying that Charlotte is or excuse me um Ben is artistic refined and refined so that's where I think Charlotte was always like the hottest one of the bunch that I saw and but the problem is, just because of her so traditional, she always wanted to be a family, and like you know, I didn't want like she always wanted kids. That was like the big. thing. That was a big thing with her when she her first marriage. She's like. Now, that's not to say that that's what Ben wants. But, but I, I see, you know, maybe. But she made a good comparison with the artistic and refined stuff. So. She was she was a curator for a gallery for many years before she decided she was going to try and have kids, and um, you know. A lot of I don't know if a lot of men know this, but if if you are reproductively challenged as a woman, sometimes trying to have a child turns into your full time job because you're going to the doctors all the time, you're taking all this medicine, and that's why she quit her job because it was too much for her to deal with. Like now, with, of course, Troy is carries, so maybe that just means that he's catastrophic. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe Troy is saying you know Carrie was kind of the mouthpiece of. Sex in the City, but Carrie was also kind of the glue that kept the group together. The sticky, icky glue. So, I mean, do you think Samantha and Charlotte would be friends without knowing Carrie? Probably not. So, Carrie was the one who liked all these girls and got them together, and she always, like, there was, um, 
there was an episode where Charlotte was supposed to be turning 36 and she didn't want to turn 36 so she said she was going to turn 35 again and they decided they're going to go to Atlantic City and Charlotte did not want to celebrate her birthday but Carrie did everything to get her friends together she said we have not been together in a very long time you know Miranda has the new baby and Charlotte is you know having a bad time in her marriage and Samantha has has her new boyfriend and we're just we've never been together we just need to be together and that's that's how Carrie was even though she was a little self-centered and she was insane and she was very interested in being like a socialite not status the way Charlotte was Carrie wanted to be on page six all the time like she was always going out to the hot clubs but her friendships really mattered to her because she didn't have much of a family. Same thing with um, Miranda. Like her, her family was kind of in the background. All of the women, their their families were kind of in the background. And one thing that was said one time was to Carrie from from Miranda was my friendships really matter to me. My my girl friendships really matter to me. So Carrie was kind of like the person who always tried to round them up. So I don't know exactly what inspired Troy to like sort of do that but that was interesting I think there might be some underlying themes like you said in terms of his connection with the rest of the bandmates uh, this is like basically a super group uh, with Max from uh, Soulfly and uh, Cavalier Conspiracy as well as uh, I can't remember if it's Ben or the other guy who come from Dildra Escape Plan but you know, they got together on the, the debut album, which was really, really good. I'm looking forward to this here in the well, new one. Well, maybe Troy feels like he is kind of like the glue. He's like, I, we're all drawn together, and I, I want to, you know, now we're on our sophomore album. I want to keep us, you know, stuck. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, let's break into some more music. I've got a couple of tracks from Grand Sounds and Metal Messenger from Old Blood and Colden. Got to kick it off, though, with some new Dark Spell, Tormented Mind.
This is Sky Nielsen Promotions. I offer the most affordable, effective, independent metal promotions one can find. If you've got a metal band, project, or art that you want promoted, simply search for Sky Nielsen Promotions. And you're listening to Hordes of Chaos on Metal Tavern Radio. She's in love with herself. Keeping it close, and I was like, eh, it's not good for Virginia to be in a dogfight with a team they should be rolling Oh, uh, yeah, they're... But now they're getting it going, so mm-hmm. that's all that fucking matters. But, but if, uh, as a Virginia fan, you know, struggling with the, was it, D3 school, you, nah, you can't do Last that. Last week, yeah! <laughs> Holy crap, what was that, um, it was a school that just got moved up last week, um... They're in Virginia too. I, I can't remember the name of them. They played they played Virginia last week. Um Liberty? Yeah. Liberty was a lower level school, but then they got moved up and they were kicking some Did we play Liberty last week? Maybe. Uh but anyway. Uh, anyway, back to the music. Yeah, Virginia is kicking ass and that's all that matters at this point. Yeah, but they're basically beating a high school. That's good. This is what's supposed to happen when you're playing these guys. Uh so we're getting ready to go into our rock block. Uh-huh. So we'll have Neko's pick of the week. Of course, we talked about Peter Gabriel, so we know that's coming up. It's coming up. Also got some sticks, White Lion, Dog Fashion Disco. Fucking White Lion. Yeah, I haven't heard this song I know. Were you watching, like, an infomercial last night for, you know, the best hair bands, and you got Monster Ballads and ordered it last night? Is that what happened? Or no? No. no. I probably did that in the 90s, <laughs> though, when I saw Bobby Brown. It was, like, in Cherry Pie video doing infomercial. Oh, for my God. I... Monster Ballads was probably one of my best infomercial purchases ever. I, I was, Sarah, and I don't even know where it is. Sarah and I, like, we copied it from each other. We had it for the longest time. I, I, I need my Monster Ballads. I need my I need, MTV. I need my Monster Ballads. <laughs> so we're going to kick off this rock block with a band called The Brats. Now, I didn't know much about this band until Chris Hupp. Uh, one of my friends on Facebook uh, brought it up. He always brings back these like old school memories, and I'm like, oh, I never knew about this. Uh, this was like a punk heavy metal band that basically transformed into what we know as Merciful's Fate and King Diamond. All right, so which one is King Diamond? I'm looking at the picture. Well, and- he's not in there. Oh, okay. uh, this is like the original. Like, see, what <laughs> happened was the band put out this record called 1980 and 1980. Uh, they put that out there with a different vocalist, but then King came later, and... Uh, he was, like, performing live with them? Uh, I guess. They were actually writing... They apparently wrote another record now. It's not listed, and so I don't know if it ever just got pulled or whatever, but the... From what I'm reading, the, the label came to him and said, Look, we need you guys to put out something more commercial. And at that point, the guys were like, no. Well, well, if you're a punk band, commercial just means death, right? Like, right. Yeah. So they were like, okay, we're just going to break up and go do our own thing. So uh, Denner and uh, King went on to go. They continued with uh, another version of the Brats, but then like it eventually transformed in Merciful Fate and, of course, King Diamond, his solo stuff later. Uh, but I always found it interesting. The music was kind of cool. Uh, you know, punk's one of those things that I still grapple with because i'm not the biggest punk metal punk rock fan but but i am 
Yeah, but I mean, you know, outside of the Ramones, Sex Pistols, and I'm, you know, starting to kind of like GBH and some of this other stuff that I've gotten used to listening to after a while because all my friends are all into it. Um, so the Bratz was kind of cool. I was checking out the record. So I got a track called Heavy Rocker that's going to open up our rock block. Um, we'll get started with that, and then we'll be back and do Boneco's Pick of the Week.
king Touch me and my troubles are fade racing fan and want to be a part of a winning team, then contact Carmichael Racing. Carmichael Racing is currently looking for sponsors for the upcoming champ and flat card season. You can be a part of a long tradition of racing as Paul and Rhea L. race to the finish line at Mardella Speedway at Diamond Head Arena in Joesburg, PA, March 13th through the 15th, 2020. They will also be racing at Hunterstown Speedway and Kepler City Speedway in Ashland, Virginia. Racing runs deep in the blood at Carmichael Racing. And they are looking to gain sponsors for a new upcoming season. If interested, you can contact them at 443-202-3016. That's 443-202-3016. You can also find them on Facebook at SRChamp36. Carmichael Racing. Together you can soar as the engines roar. Wait just a moment until 
So we're making fun of squirrels getting drunk and having a hard time. People are, uh, they'll put out fruit or something or squirrels will get into the pumpkins after they've already fermented and then the poor squirrels are all messed up and they're just not having a good day. But it's so freaking cute. Like, they're just fluffy and their tails are going everywhere and then they're running in circles it just like they're trying to do their normal shit and then like they have to pause and then fall over and the one guy he even has like oh my god he just made himself dizzy <laughs> the one guy even had like a little squirrel house for him and he couldn't figure out how to get in the door it was really funny okay that's my uh that's how adolescent i am <laughs> so for this week we kind of gave a little hint to what we were talking about. Um, I I never imagined I would be like this huge Peter Gabriel fan, but I kind of am. And, and I'm kind of like, I don't know what the right word is. It's, it's not like I go out and I seek Peter Gabriel songs and I'm like downloading Peter Gabriel and I'm thinking about him all the time but well I actually think I own so like that's the one record I do own there's a lot of great that's tracks my record. it's not your it's record. My record it's our record it, let, let that be. it is our record that's our wedding song <laughs> but for me with Peter Gabriel every time this song I either forgot about it or I just hadn't heard it a lot, but... I don't think I've actually even sat and listened to this particular tune, so I, it's new to me, pretty much. Well, this was kind of what happened. So, we were talking the last couple of weeks about the sad news about Chad Dukes and the sad news about Big Owen Dukes, and it's been kind of like my favorite thing since 2003. <laughs> you know, I it's they've been a big part of my life, and... Even when I'm out sailing, I I get you to sometimes download it and send me the MP3s because when I'm out a lot of times, the bandwidth on the ships is not strong enough to stream things. So it's kind of been a little bit of a void in my life. And I found this podcast called Sadly Ra Lacking Radio. And admittedly, I found the podcast because I was googling like what happened to chad dukes what you know like trying to figure out what the um the aftermath was and they were doing a little bit of a podcast on that a couple of podcasts actually so yeah on 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 sadly sadly lack and radio they were talking about chad because they were fans too and i i just started following them on podbean and listening and going through their back catalog and stuff and they're they're really interesting guys they have good topics and they're very entertaining so i'm i'm just i i found a new podcast sadly sadly lacking radio it's kind of kind of a tongue twister sadly yeah, right? <laughs> sadly lacking radio sadly so i um the last episode that I listened to, I don't think it was a current episode, but I've just kind of been jumping around um, after I listened to the different episodes talking about Chad Dukes and Big Owen Dukes, but this was the song that they closed with, and I, I just kind of said to myself, I haven't heard this song in a long time, and I just really like the way that it, that it just... It starts a certain way, it comes together, and it turns into an entirely different song. And as we spoke about earlier, 
the one thing I love about Peter Gabriel is he's very experimental. And I am the, the, the reason why I think I, I am just so drawn to Peter Gabriel is I am not a progressive music lover. And she's not. At really. all. That and Doom. And, but even with like Rush, I know Rush is beloved by many people. I appreciate them and I think that they're very musically talented and everything about them is just but I I'm Which not... is so weird with you because uh you know certain artists like Devin Town that she loves. Oh, I love me some Devin. But and, and like Pink Floyd, they are a progressive band. I but, love Pink Floyd. But it's all a different vibe for her compared to say Rush or some other prog band that we've listened to. But I and see I like Dream Theater, but I don't like all dream theater so it's just for me like i with my progressive style music i pick and choose it one of my biggest problems with rush is i hate getty lee's singing voice and to their credit though he has a unique singing voice and without getty lee being getty lee it just would not be rush right so it's just that's what's hard for me i i it just it hurts my ears listening to him <laughs> sing <laughs> And who am I to judge Getty Lee? He's a billionaire, and he's massively talented. He's an amazing writer, and, you know, he can produce and create something amazing, but I just can't get into it the way most people can. I can get into Peter Gabriel. His voice sounds like silk. That's the best way to describe it. It is not annoying. It's not chirpy it's not crunchy peter gabriel sounds like what you want to have a good night dream to i think like if i would play peter gabriel as i fell asleep it would make me just sleep so beautifully his voice has an amazing range but it's also gentle and so touching everything he sings you feel the emotion so this song games without frontiers it just I heard it and I forgot about it and then I remembered it and Peter Gabriel also likes to play with kind of like a tribal sound he did it mm -hmm. within your eyes he does it with this it starts again it starts one way and it has a complete different development through the song so for this week I'm choosing my pick of the week is Peter Gabriel games without frontiers and here we go 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 Attention, please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. In a moment, we will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow. And we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. DJ Neko's pick of the week. 
Jane. Jane plays with Willy. Willy is happy again. Suki plays with Leo. Sasha plays with Brit. Adolf builds a bonfire. Enrico plays with it. Could kill, they probably will In games without frontiers Or without tears If looks could kill, they probably will In games without frontiers War without tears Games without frontiers War without tears Except for Lin Taiyu Dressing up in costumes Playing silly games Hiding out in treetops Shouting out rude names If looks could kill, they probably will In games without frontiers War without tears Games without frontiers War without tears
elbow with the bandy thorn. You're listening to the Hordes of Chaos only on Metal Tavern Radio. Pump it. Alright, we're back. Closing out the rock block with some dog fashion disco. It's actually a band a friend of yours turned me on to, but well, I didn't check them out until like four or five years later. Really? Yeah. It's got like a whole like fake no more vibe. And Jerry was the one that told me about them, but I didn't really get around to hearing them until much later. But uh, definitely fell in love with their stuff. They do a lot of different things. It's, it, yeah, it's like Scott and Grunge kind of mixed together. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we've talked about Scientology before and about how crazy that religion is and everything that works up to it and whatnot. So Netflix has their own, like... Well, it was on, I think, A&E at one point, but Netflix picked it up so that, um, we you know, you can binge it now if you want to. But Leah Remini... She grew up in Scientology. She, her parents were in Scientology. She was in Scientology. She has been a strong advocate for Scientology until 2013. Yeah, so there's like three seasons worth of this stuff now. We just kind of got into it now. I've been reading an article on it, and I guess the third season is actually the final season. Um, I think they decided that... They're going to try some other avenues to try to bring more light to what's going on. Um, you know, and that's the thing. Like, a lot of this... The, the, I think the one negative that I hear about this series is that it's done from only really one perspective. Now, part of that is because Scientology people, they'll put out like these disclaimers and stuff saying... They put out their own promotional videos. Right. Well, but I mean, they'll put out things that say, well... Such and such is lying. They have this now. To their credit, Scientology does what they call exit interviews. It's almost like a job. And uh, so what they'll do is, in particular, one woman, I can't remember her name, but she literally jumped into somebody's trunk and had them take her out without knowing and get her out of there, only for her to go back because her dad said she needed to do this exit interview. And so when they did that, they were tasking her all these questions like, uh, are you leaving because you're pressured to? Are you leaving because something bad happened to you? And she required, she answered no. Now, Leah and everybody says, well, they do that because they just want to get out. They don't want to get forced to stay there or whatever. But I'm saying, if you're already out, I'm not doing that extra interview. I'll say whatever the fuck I want to say. Well, Scientology is like a weird mafia in its own right. Right, like, but... I'm, I'm saying you went through all that trouble to break out of it, only to go back and do this interview. Like but you're I just think, a moron. I at think that part point. of it, though, is when you get in, it's like not just you; it's you and your family, and you have hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of dollars invested. And the big thing about Scientology, like the mafia, people just disappear, and that was the uh, the biggest thing that kind of like shook up Leah Remini because with her she had been in it for so long and 
you know, everybody knows Tom Cruise is a big Scientologist. He's like, he's like, for he's like King Scientologist. So with with Leah Remini, um, she was at Tom Cruise and um, Katie Holmes' wedding, and what started her, I guess, in her snowball was all she asked about was Shelly, um, who happened to be... The, the top guy's wife. Yeah, so she Shelly was David's um, wife. What's her last name? Miss Grave? Miss Gavin? Miss Scourge. Something. Yeah. So anyway, she and Shelly were actually friends, and this is at Tom Cruise's wedding, and Leo was just kind of like, hey, where's Shelly tonight? And that just like kind of, she's, this is again, allegedly, according to Leah Remini, put a target on her back, and then as things were happening to her in the Scientology family, she was seeing, like, how they can just take something and overrun your life. Well, that's the weird thing, is that Shelly, you know, there's pictures of her and David early on, and she played a major factor in, as far as her position early on, but then, like, she started questioning things and then was demoted and then eventually disappear. Like, she hasn't been in the limelight. She hasn't been seen by anybody, even though... The in pe- 2013, Leah Remini actually put out a missing persons for Shelly Miscavige. Am I saying that right? It, it's something like that, yeah. So, who knows how much reach the Church of Scientology has? Again, this is why I call it, like, the, the Mafia. When you do file a missing persons and somebody shows up as okay, they say, okay, well, we talked to the husband and he showed that Shelly is fine. Yeah, but that he didn't really show. He just said. And that's I think that's kind of the more curious Well, that's thing. all they're telling Leah. Who knows what police officer did what right. to substantiate the claim. Now, what they're really saying about Shelly is um, she's in this thing called the hole which is a secret, like, subsect out in the mountains in California where they put all the really bad Scientology people. Now, they're not necessarily, you know, uh, excommunicated or whatever, but they're there for punishment, and it's... It's like solitary confinement. Yeah, they just, like, stick you there, and they've been saying that Shelley's been there for years and years, allegedly. We we don't know. Nobody has substantiated any proof, but that's what they're thinking. So it's it's just so interesting. To me, Scientology is crazy. They are funded by actors and actresses. That is their biggest clientele. I mean Well you put it perfectly the other night. It's like it's one big pyramid scheme, really. <laughs> that's what it comes down to because as you watch this series, you, you you know Leah's talking to former members, and they're talking about how they got into it, and some didn't have quite all the money, but there's like levels that you can buy to get into this thing. And it's you have like, to you have to go through clearing. So when you go through clearing, it's like almost like being under a polygraph, but you're being questioned by another member of the church who is higher than you. But you have to go through all these classes in order to get to clearing, and it costs sometimes $100,000. And 
in this series we're seeing these regular people like Anubis and I where they would be like okay well if you want to get to the next level it's $20,000 and they're and in the meantime they make all these promises like well if you put in so much money you'll get much more later on yeah you're gonna get more back even if you do they start requesting more money from you to go to the next level so it's like you're not really gaining anything at that point but they they trick you and they also are like well if you need money you need to mortgage your house or you need to sell your car there were um transcripts that they they took from tapings where they were accusing people of not being devoted enough because they weren't that 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 was that one couple where they said listen we just can't you know we have our our kids tuition we have a mortgage and they were like we'll take out a Scientology said this to this couple take out take out a second mortgage um there's other ways you can get a personal loan you can get credit cards and at that point the wife at, at in this couple that we're referring to um I don't even think they gave their real names because of the documentary, but they were, the wife really started waking up when they started, when Scientology started pressuring them, like, you need to take out a loan, you need to take out a second mortgage, and then they were writing reports. So every church member has their own file and reports, and they were writing reports that they weren't willing to put in the financial, I guess, subscription? I don't know what you call it. it. It's it's just, it's hard, I guess, because I'm on the outside, and if someone told me I needed to pay $50,000 to a, a church in order to be cleared, I'd be like, you're, you're out of your mind. It's bananas to me, and these people are in it because they feel such a connection to the church and they are just thriving on people feeling guilty and people feeling like they need to belong to this church. So this couple that I cannot remember their names, but I I honestly think they gave a, a phony name for this documentary because they were still kind of, they, when you leave Scientology, as DJ Anubis said, you have to go through an exit interview. Otherwise, you are like labeled as an undesirable person. And because a lot of times family members all kind of gather together and join the church, if another member wants to leave, you don't want to leave on bad terms so that they don't like block you from your family members. So, and that's happened quite a bit. You see, if you don't have the money, you have to order, you have to join what's called Sea Org. And it's kind of funny because I've, I told you, I saw their, their vessel in Curacao when I was in Curacao. The, they got guards and everything Yeah, they have guards. There. It's this big, beautiful, pristine white vessel. It's like one of the funniest things because... They fought so hard to get tax exemption for their their because they consider themselves a religion, obviously. But they taking be, millions of dollars. But for they behave like no religion really in the U.S. Like in terms of Christianity and all that, it doesn't really behave in that manner. They've got guards. They one of the biggest things is they when people leave or step away they got people stalking them, trying to get information on them. They have private. Them. They have private investigators following their members if they think that they're uh i guess 
detractors or whatever. Yeah. It's so The lengths they go to to discredit people is, like, really outrageous. It's, like, one of the weirdest things. And, like, they, you know, people have video of them confronting these guys that are following them. And it's just, like, oh, no, Going through their trash. Yeah, taking their trash and everything else. Now, granted, once you throw it out there, it's free game. But still, it's just amazing. So, dude's, like... Dude, that's my trash. Why are you putting my trash bag in your car? And he's like, it's not your trash. <laughs> and like, some people, like the one guy, he when he left Scientology, he was like, I knew they were following me, so I just started putting erroneous things in the trash. To, to mislead them, yeah. Just he, like he said little I would, notes he would crimple up and take them somewhere that had nothing to do with what he was doing, but he wanted to, you know, basically get them off his ass, so that's what he would do. But uh, it, it is really crazy that, that you know, it's more like a cult. I guess it's a pyramid scheme cult, basically. It's a cult that involves lots of money. It's like a multi-level marketing pyramid scheme. But the scheme. fact that they've been able to persuade and be an impressionable on Hollywood, I guess I'm not super shocked because Hollywood in general is kind of dumb. They live in their own bubble. Yeah, but they, they've got the... Scientology has gotten themselves to a level where they are an influencer by themselves. Well, they are, and I, you know, we talked about this with my dad when I was a kid. You know, he's reading some of the books now. I don't know if he was reading it in terms of, you know, thinking about that as a, a religious for us to go into. But because, like I said, Hubbard I would be surprised. wrote Hubbard wrote fictional stuff. Yes, he was a fiction writer, and he turned it into a religion. Yeah, so... And I don't know if he was doing that sarcastically, because... Maybe he was. I mean, I don't know, like, how much of it eventually was, you know, like, when he decided he was going to do this as a religion or whatever, but maybe he was just trolling everybody, and it's, like, the biggest joke of all. That'd be the funniest thing about it all, if he was just doing it to be a joke, and then everyone took it seriously. Uh... But it's turned into a very crazy thing where you you have to kind of worry about some of the people that are there because a lot of them seem to be held out their will, against their will. And then, like, they do these exit interviews on purpose so that they can keep themselves from being legally sued. That's basically what it comes down to. Now, like I said with the one woman, like, for her to go back and do that is where it, creates problems for her and her credibility because now like she's saying one thing but then she went and did this and said something else to them well, regardless remember, of her intentions. I was going to say remember she did that though because she was scared for her life and she had members family members in Scientology. Right but it, it still creates doubt and that's the problem and that's where you have to take it because like if, if you got to make a stand somewhere. That's how I am. I well, hate it. But that's that's what Leah Remini is trying to do. And it's kind of crazy. Yeah, but you got to do it without doing the exit interview or without, be, you know, without buying into what they're saying. Because the minute you say that, you're giving them credibility for like, oh, no, she said this. We have it on tape. We have it on written. She signed it, you know. Oh, I hear you. But it's just... If if I was wrapped up in Scientology, me, and you were like, oh, this is this is uh, Neko's thing. She's really into Scientology. I I love her, but I I'm just hanging out. Um, I joined Scientology because she did, and then you realized that it was really detrimental, and you wanted to leave. You would have to leave in a pleasant way in order to get 
still have access to me because what en ends up happening is they tr they cut off ties to people outside of the life. And back to the money aspect of it, when they start talking about the abuse and all, it's really about these people who are desperate to be in Scientology or these people who have kids and they're desperate to be part of Scientology and they put them in their Sea Org, which is basically hard labor for free. And they're working off a debt to be into this Scientology club. It's just so many layers of things that I just, it's hard for me to digest, honestly. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I don't I don't get it. Uh, I don't get why they get tax exempt and all that shit too. I think it's a joke. Well, I honestly don't think religious organizations should be tax exempt at all. Right. But. But they're like mainly the poster child for. Well, you remember what I was saying in Clearwater, Florida? They were having a really bad real estate downturn and the church of scientology went in there and just started buying up buildings not for like a church or a temple or anything they were just buying buildings some stuff might go to um retail and where these retail organizations are indebted to the church of scientology for rent or whatever so you could go to rent out space and without knowing you're you know part of the church of scientology it's it's just just google clearwater florida and scientology and you will be blown away i know that sounds like for me the church of scientology is one of the biggest mysteries in my life i don't know why i just get obsessed with it and i read about it all of the time <laughs> all right well enough of that shit Getting back into music, Appalachian Winter, uh, artist out of Pennsylvania, I believe. Yep, Shellsburg, Pennsylvania. I've been a big fan of his for a while. Uh, I found his new record out. Actually, I guess he put one out last year. I just didn't remember, but it's called Winter Hewn, and uh, this is called Shallower the Depths of Warmth, and here we go.
Looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at 8328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you out. Alright, DJ Nubis. And DJ Neko. Back with you. Closing out that last block with Sojourner, Trials of the Earth, and their album Empire of Ashes. I do like Sojourner. Yeah, they're a good band. Very good band. So, we caught another documentary because we love them so. We do. We, we are like weird, I guess. I don't know. I, You know what? I'm happy that we have like the same wavelength like it wouldn't work with it is weird because sometimes we will actually finish each other's sentences <laughs> <laughs> well, or when we're listening to music sometimes and we like do the same thing because we expect like <laughs> progenies of a great apocalypse or, or when we're like doing our drum solos together <laughs> like <laughs> well the one thing I always notice with you is like like when a bitch already came on earlier, you instantly knew. I who like it looked was. at like, you. I was like, you weren't mm-hmm. even looking at the list, but you knew who it was. I was like, mm-hmm. Remember that one Valentine's Day that we went to? It was like my bloody Valentine. It was nothing but death metal. That was a great Valentine's Day. When was that? Like six years ago, or mm-hmm. it was all death metal, Cannibal yeah. Corpse. I think obituary. Obituary. It was amazing. That cryptopsy. Mm-hmm. I think. We had an amazing time. It was like a, a really unique Valentine's Day that we spent together. I, that's us. Like we are, probably the two perfect weirdos to hang out with each other, right? We just like to infect other people to hang out with. We want, us. yeah, we want, we want to spread the infection. <laughs> <laughs> I always joke, and I, I, I said it like jokingly, but like, you know, half honestly too. I was an odd child, and I always have been kind of a little bit of a weirdo, and I never expected, like, to get married, or for an actual human man to like me. (laughs) Human man. (laughs) I I mean, because most of the time when I would have relationships, it was a bunch of relation shit, and it... (laughs) (laughs) It's <laughs> a good way to put it. Relationship. But it was it was more like I was being um I was being used used for attention, used for money, used for sex, used for whatever. Used like a dirty glory I was hole. used and abused. And it wasn't like a real like partnership like you and I have. So when I met you and I was weird and you were like happy I was weird, I was I was very much appreciative of it because I I said to my sister many times since I was a teenager I don't think I'm ever going to be able to get married I don't think anybody would ever want to marry me like honestly I don't think it's ever going to happen and 
recently, like, her youngest is a little bit of a weirdo like me, and he does some of the crazy stuff that I do. I would... Ugh. I would do stupid stuff like put on 700 pairs of sunglasses and leave the house and my parents are like, okay, bye. And my sister has a picture of him doing the same thing, like with a bunch of sunglasses and hats and just... Dri but the thing is, like, some of the things we do will be like just going to like the music store, picking up vinyl or cassettes or whatever and so this but doc. we appreciate it together and that's like why we're i'm saying like i we're documentary people i i know not a lot of people are but we i are. mean we will watch like some of the more interesting things but we always end up going back to stuff like this one which was about tower records and you know tower records was kind of just on the decline when we started dating so uh we went to tower records there yeah. was one right by your old house yeah because we used to go to the um, the Mexican restaurant right up the road. Chevy's? Yeah. Oh, that yeah. place was great. That had the best queso. It came out in its own little pan. Oh, my goodness. I yeah, love that place. Yeah, we used place. to do that place, and we'd go down the street because they had theaters, and then they had the Tower Records. There, and they had an Old two Navy stories. in there? Yeah. So, Barnes oh. and Noble, all of that was over there. Oh, that was that. Oh, I think you even had like a little Amish thing over there as well. And that little. That was place. a great little shopping area. But, uh, so there's this, um, doc out there called The Rise and Fall of Tower Records, or actually, it's called All Things Must Pass, but it's about the rise and fall of Tower Records, and it's kind of interesting just how, how early this company had got started by Russ Solomon. Uh, we're talking, like, early 50s and 60s, I think, maybe even earlier than that, I don't remember, but it started with him and his brother, I think, that just ended up buying all this old vinyl and, uh other records from people locally and then going and selling it in their own little it was like almost, store. Yeah, it was almost like they opened up a, a soda fountain, which was a big thing back then. So I think it was like they spent like 200 bucks, so they ended up getting these records. Now, granted, the records only cost them like a buck something a piece at the time. Uh, that shows you how far back you go for that. But then they would go and turn them around and sell them, and, you know, they eventually started building up and putting the money back into it and created Tower Records. And initially they were all just West Coast. Like, it wasn't anything on the East Coast yet. Mm -mm. So this was all West Coast, and it was very laid back uh, once it got into the 70s and whatnot. Well, I mean, like, the Beach Boys were a big thing for them. Like, Well, they, yeah, I think they, well, they had people coming in. Elton John actually mm -hmm. went there. Uh, Beach Boys, uh, even I think David Grohl was interviewed. He worked there. there. Right, right. So, you know, they, and the thing is, like, the funny joke is, it was so laid back that they, they literally get drunk in the back and then go, you know, walk the floor, do whatever it was. They had to sell the merchandise, but it was just so laid back. That's how they operate as long as everybody was doing it. They figured as long as everyone was coming to work and doing a job, they didn't give a shit if they were getting high or getting drunk. And, and one of the biggest things, though, that they said, which actually kind of is impressive, everybody started out on the floor. Everybody did. Even the owners started out on the floor because they had this teeny tiny soda fountain where they were owning it and operating it. Everybody started out working the floor, doing stock, being a sales representative. And this one lady, she 
again started out on the floor and she's like i'm a vice president you know at, after so many years that's what their kind of business model was they were more about the music they were more about bringing records to the people it wasn't so much of a um political or corporate type philosophy everything for them was we want it to feel genuine and we want it to feel authentic yeah they they, they did have one guy opposite of russ who was more of the businessman and account guy because he was more straight laced until he got drunk he was you know he would become a little more uh relax and whatnot but when he was on point he was basically running the show financially mm -hmm. uh russ would have all the ideas he'd in fact he'd always come up with interesting ideas or even which was a cool thing back then was employees would say hey just be great if we have like a magazine and of course russ was like we'll do it you know and they created what became was called pulse and uh, it was like this magazine they put out uh, about the music industry, the artists, and of course what they were selling in the store. And so they had that going on for a while. And then of course... And I, I loved Pulse. Y yeah, so Russ was always about the... He was always the innovator. He was always thinking ahead, um, expanding uh, whatever ideas would come. I think at one point... Even some of the employees were artists, and so they were creating visuals inside the store, creating little collages of stuff, which I remember some of that from even the one that we were at. They were doing weird stuff like that. Uh, and so he was very supportive in his employees being free to kind of do that, which is nice. Now, the thing about this is that by 1999, Tower Records was a billion-dollar company. And then five years later, they were filing for bankruptcy. That's how abrupt it was. and That's how it was for a lot of the music industry at that time. But they, they make it a point not to say that it wasn't just because of the internet or Napster or everything else. Is that at some point, and Neko and I talked about it when it came to our job at Corporate Express, where they started to expand and they were buying out smaller record stores and they were... I mean, they were going to the point where they were in uh, Japan, and, you know, in fact, they were great in Japan. That's the weird thing. They were better in Japan than they were almost in the States at that point. Problem is, when they started going into South America and some of these other places, they didn't really have, and they were spending a lot of money, they didn't have the resources from the money getting back into it mm -hmm. to support these places, so eventually they were running out of money. And course there were some falling outs with the i forget the financial guy who eventually retired because he just couldn't keep up with what they were doing mm -hmm. but at some point during that transition of course the banks that they had loaned money from came to collect and because they didn't really have the money to pay back the banks kind of took control and said well we're going to put new people in charge. Right. We're going to give you some more money, but we're going to put new people in charge to try to get back what we need to get paid. And unfortunately, it meant a lot of people got fired. Uh, a lot of people who had the been with them. pulse was shut down. Yeah. So, and of course, you know, they shut down Japan or shut down all the other. They separated they from Japan is what basically happened was 
And it's kind of like what happened with us in Corporate Express. Well, they did close down some of the ones. I remember they were showing the diagram, but I think there was like one that managed to escape and they kept the name and did for themselves. Well, that, that, that's what I mean. Like with us, with, with Corporate Express, um, the downfall of Corporate Express ultimately was when, when Staples bought the U.S. portion of Corporate Express. And that's kind of like what this conglomerate did to Tower Records. But their Corporate Express lives on in Europe. And that's what was happening with Tower. The Japanese Tower Records still lives on because when these American companies came in to quote-unquote fix the problem and fix the money with Tower Records, they took over and separated that. So the Tower Records in Japan, I believe, is independently operated yeah. now. And now, um, so this is early 2000s, that this company from the bank came in and they're fixing. Yeah, it was probably the one point because, like, Russ, like I said, was the innovator and he was always thinking ahead and, like, when CDs came out and tapes, you know, he was always there to say, okay, let's use this format. Um, same with, like, the mini-disc and everything else. You love the mini-disc, oh my goodness. For a short time, yeah, it didn't live long. When I first met you, you were all about the mini-disc. You had a mini-disc disc recorder, you had it in your car, you had, like, a 12-changer CD player in your trunk. It was, yeah. you were Mr., like, tech. Yeah, I liked a lot of that stuff, um, but that was sort of the drawback also because Russ was, that's where it became where he was expanding too much and going to areas that weren't really, like I said, putting back into the financial part of it. So eventually that's what bit him in the ass and, you know, the company folded. And of course, yeah, I mean, the internet did play a factor there too because people were able to find things online and i think one of the one one of the cool things that tower did do when we talked the innovation part is that and this is something neko and i remember is the listening stations they had like you were able oh, to come in we and loved that yeah you'd come in you just scan a cd or sometimes it was just the cds that they had advertised so for instance 94 95 when 311 released the blue album that's one that I actually said to listen to. I like this. I'm buying this. That's that was one of those moments. Um, but eventually, you know, it was what bit him in the ass because he was just expanding too much, and then the partying was going on, and I don't know. They kind of just didn't take it all seriously until it was it too was, late. I was gonna say because they went from you know selling used records from old ju jukeboxes to having all this money. And they were still kind of operating on that it's a fun time kind of thing. And they, and it's hard because when you are dealing with a visionary and you have always had this like open checkbook, so now it's like we need to tighten it up. And he's like, no, that's not how it works. And the funny thing is, is Russ was like a very lovable family-oriented guy when it comes to like his his employees. his employees his they were his people so there was one guy and i can't remember what job he had initially but he had gotten laid off but still got invited to this like i don't know it was like a christmas party of sorts or whatever it was or just a employee party uh for the company and russell's the one that invited him so he showed up not thinking that you know wow i don't know why i'm here because i'm not really with the company anymore but 
apparently, like, as the party was closing down, Russ came to him and said, look, you know, you want to come join us for drinks? And then it was just going to be him and uh, a couple other guys. And so the guy that had gotten laid off was, like, really emotionally touched by that because of all the people that Russ could have invited to go have drinks and dinner afterwards, he didn't expect him to be the one. So there was this, like very close bond and then when of course russ was forced to relinquish control to the banks it was a very hard thing for him to do because he knew a lot of people were going to get laid off there was a lot of emotions involved and that's sort of the problem though like i was talking with neck i was like you know if we we always had this dream to, to do our own record store slash venue or whatever bar but I would really probably would never have any aspirations to grow from there. And that's not because I don't want to make money. It's just that when you have something special, you don't want to, like, get too greedy. And that's sort of what happened here. And it's like, I don't think they were greedy as far as, like, the money aspect so much as it was. They just enjoyed that people were actually getting to enjoy these, these uh, stores. But the problem is not every country has the same desire or consumers to do that. And that's kind of like bit them in the ass there at the end. So Japan was like their biggest surprise. And I think that's sort of what made them think they could do that in other countries. And it didn't happen. I mean, again, back to our Corporate Express parallel. We always kind of joked that the, uh, the downfall started when we moved into the new building and we moved into a new fancier building and they started like consolidating things the, the that was such a whack shit because i remember saying okay we're going to a bigger building we're consolidating our, our it was in groups it was pencil the pennsylvania they, warehouse they right. moved down into baltimore and we didn't know that and they didn't build the warehouse big enough right so what you would have is all these tractor trailers that need to occupy the space and not only just on the docks but with like the product that they had to ship out so between them and the night shift who were trying to get stuff ready for all us delivery guys that would be running during the day it was creating problems and they went through different, you know, team leaders at night, you know, uh, supervisors, whatever. And it was such a clusterfuck. <laughs> it really was. I mean, look at my job. Because these trucks had to be out by a certain time. So, so they, they could get, get to back. Pennsylvania. Right. Like they, they, they had a two-hour drive ahead of them. They so. put their fucking facility in Maryland, but they had to go back up there anyway. And it was just, ugh. Oh. Yeah, that was like that was like something they did not. They think didn't about. no, they didn't think about it. They just said, "Okay, Pennsylvania and Maryland are really close, and they just built this new warehouse, so there's plenty of room." And then they didn't think of the logistics of it. Yeah, it, it was a mess, and it just eventually all the buying out and just. Yeah. It was so crazy too, because like we uh there we have a small Facebook group that is called the Original Corporate Express like back in the Elkridge days and people will share pictures or stuff things like that like when we had a softball team or parties and stuff and you know back on when we were off of route one it was amazing I you know I I was in college and I worked there 
and I grew there and I, you know, met some of my best friends there and my mom did too. And, you know, I met you there. Mm -hmm. It was, it was pretty phenomenal. And it was an interesting building because it used to be three businesses. And then when Corporate Express moved there in the 90s, they took over this building but they like just kind of bulldozed between the warehouse the walls, walls yeah. yeah and they'd say first warehouse second warehouse third warehouse and there was a like an archive room and the archive room if if you're thinking about where the front door of where corporate express was the archive room was all the way at the other end but it still was set up like an old office and I know you never because that was not part of your job like part of my job was sometimes I had to go pull out some old purchase orders or whatever and it we that's where we stored all of our old documents but it was an old business that you know Corporate Express bought the whole building but they didn't need that tiny little office space so in order order to get to the archive room you had to walk all the way to the third warehouse back in the corner and go up steps and you go up there and it looks like uh, maybe 1975 honestly it was like gold cubicles and it was all still there but that's where we put all of our files it was so crazy it, it yeah, but that's the thing, like, I was thinking about it, it's like, that's sort of the thing I miss about record stores, is being able to go in there and look at vinyls or cassettes and CDs and shop around like we used to. Now, Soundgarden, we can kind of do that, which is very nice. And I know one of the things, when you and I first got together and we were talking about moving in together and you moved down here with me, you were super excited because of record and tape traders was less than a five. You could yeah. walk there. Yeah. I mean, if you really wanted to, it would be maybe a 15 minute walk, but it's a five minute, it was a five minute drive from the house. And you're like, oh, I love record and tape traders. They have the best stuff. And then when they closed, you were like distraught. You were, <laughs> you were very hurt. And this is just like one of those new and used stores. It was like mom and pop type stuff. Not really as big as Tower Records was, but... It was a Maryland thing. There were multiple Maryland locations, and they're all gone now. And it's just so sad. You and I were talking about this, like, with people and kids and everything nowadays. It's all all on their phone, you know, if they want to look up the name of a band or something they can just google it and it's it's on their phone and they can figure out what they want and order it on their phone with us when we were younger i mean i would i didn't drive all the time i walked to record and tape traders and listened to music and picked out a cd and then i walked home kind of the same as you like you would go to the record store and pick out something and walk home and Stores just are not as important to people the way that they are now, like physical stores, and especially with the pandemic. Yeah, the pandemic has made it even worse. I mean, it, 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 look, ordering online and doing all that stuff is very convenient. It's actually a good thing in a lot of ways because you get to work directly with bands and that sometimes doesn't happen in even the smallest stores yeah i mean you, it, before email even like what do you do you have to send a snail letter right, right? yeah but you know 
this, there's still a lot of fun, and you know, especially the area we're in, Canton. Like, despite the fact that, or Phil's point, the fact that, uh, you know, I don't like being down there all that much because of the traffic and lack of parking. But the area itself is kind of nice, especially during the summer months. And then, of course, the store itself. And then you have shit like when Ghost came there; it was really fun. They do. They host a lot of really, really like big bands in this tiny store. Yeah, so it, those are the things I miss a lot about Tower Records, but eventually one of the things I, that I hated about it was it was really expensive to buy something there. Like, we're talking, I think when CDs first started coming out, I was paying between 10 to $13. By the time Tower closed, it was close to almost $20 a CD. And, and then if you were getting into something brand new or a double or anything like that, they and granted... We get why the CD stores it, were doing it. Well, but. well, the funny thing is that probably plays into a lot of what happened with the banks trying to get their money back was they had no choice but to hike up the prices in order to try to get that. But but it wasn't just them too. It was like Best Buy was was hiking up their prices. Every Sam Goody was it was to kind of like counteract what was going on with Napster. Like every well, I don't know because they said that Tower like when they started putting prices out, there was other stores going cheaper and that was kind of hurting uh, Tower Records as well. And I think that's one reason why Record and Tape Trade became such a big thing towards the end because they would have new records they were probably like 14 or 15 bucks but they'd also have a lot of the new records that might be used mm -hmm. that people just didn't like and so you can go in and pick that up for like and 8 that's, bucks. And that's what's nice about Soundgarden too, they do the same thing. Right. And, that, and those are the kind of stores that probably will be around for a long time because they just they bring both old and new. Now Soundgarden's not that cheap with their vinyl, but they do get they do have like a really healthy selection of metal stuff. And they I get like. good stuff in. Like yep. they they cater to their audience, and they again, it's kind of funny because I I I started the vinyl thing, and I for us years. 15 years ago, and I would go to, like, Goodwill and just random thrift stores. I'm like, holy shit, look, here's a Styx album. Here's a Madonna album. Look, it's Michael Jackson's Thriller. And you're like, what? And I'm like, it was a dollar. And I was just excited to have it. And he had some old vinyl, and I had a couple. So we started, like probably 15 or 16 years ago getting back into vinyl because well, definitely it was 10 years ago because when mdf started we started going there regularly like you know you'd get in you had the guy all the uh venues or the concession areas like they had uh vinyl there and so you could pick up stuff that you hadn't really seen elsewhere and you know i got fucking uh seeds of a bliss their first record which i saw some dude walk around I was like dude where the fuck did you get that and he's like oh over there like show me mm -hmm. and so just things that you wouldn't even imagine even seeing even online at the time you know just was there and i was like i'm gonna get that that sounds so great i feel like there's not like this nice hybrid of online versus in-person store experience and online is great trust me you well it is now you've seen me like we order so much online well yeah you get a lot of bands now nomas uh people we know uh they start putting stuff out more on vinyl and cassette now because it's it's coming back like 
it's easy to get a CD and be like really happy about it, but when you when a band will actually fork out money for vinyl or cassettes, which a lot of times the cassettes are limited, and so I have like a lot of stuff now that's they're, limited. Because I, I heard they're harder to get, and you have to have like a minimum of two hundred for a run, and they're more expensive. So when bands do that, that it's like we're only doing two hundred. That's it. Right. It's because they know they have to be able to sell those, and then you know they don't want to be holding like one hundred and fifty cassettes. So they they have to see who their base is, and they say, look. We're going to make a run on 100 cassettes, so if you want one, get it, your money in now, because they're going to be gone, we're not ever doing it again, yada, yada, yada. So that's basically how that unfolds, so a lot of bands are doing that now, so if I go into, and now granted, I went into Soundgarden, actually, was it Soundgarden? No, it might have been actually that, that Wax Tracks or whatever it was. We tracks on Wax in Catonsville? No, it's the one that we went to in Glen Burnie recently. Oh, that thrift store. They actually had a Misery Index. Now that that was Soundgarden. I picked that that one, the Misery Index. But that said. thrift store, it was this, and this was like a junk store. You had this store is actually pretty amazing. The only issue I have it's is tiny, and you have to dig. Yeah, there's no organization. So outside of the main stuff, like you'll have is like main vinyls, pretty much sorted. But if you want to find like underneath all that you, you really have to spend some time there and it's kind of hard when you're trying to limit to 200 or two hours or whatever mm-hmm. uh that's something you'd almost have to spend a day and then just sit your ass down and like okay i'm gonna look through this shit yeah. well that's, but they have a lot of cool stuff there uh even just memorabilia of any kind that you like that was really like you know we were because this is maryland and they would have um old baltimore orioles like Tenants and programs from like the seventies going to to see the Orioles and that's one thing I, I wish that we as a society could figure out, especially now because you and I are getting old and the kids are like just not into I guess the tangible items the way that we are. Even video games are it's my for for my my niece's birthday she got an Xbox 360 which is what she wanted but in order to enjoy the Xbox 360 DJ Anubis and I purchased the uh live or the gold whatever it is the um the um what is the yearly thing on it's like a membership yeah whatever it is but they don't there isn't this nice hybrid of and I feel like we had it in in the early 2000s where it was like, yes, we had the internet. We ordered shit. We enjoyed the internet. But we also still supported the stores that we liked. And it doesn't feel like that anymore. It almost feels like everything is so, like, segregated and we're just... I mean, you can order your groceries online. It's it's nice. And it's, it, it's for convenience, but like I said, with the bands, it's becoming a bigger deal now because now... What are, and, what and are they going to do? Well, sometimes they even push because like when they do shows, you're better off buying shirts and stuff from them directly than you would be to do it anywhere else. Because they'll, they'll take a cut of it. Yeah, well, it comes their money. They yeah. don't have to worry about sharing it with anybody. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you go into a store and it's there, it's kind of cool to see. Oh, wow, no moss is here, even though I haven't seen it in the store. But 
it would be nice to see that, but you know right off the bat that the store is going to take their cut or the label is or whoever they're working with. Whereas if you buy it straight from their website, it's all the money goes straight from them at a show. Right. All the money goes straight to them. So it's one of those conflicting things. Like there's always the fun of going into a store and browsing like we used to, but then you have to think about the reality, especially with rock and metal bands that aren't as high profile as the others. The money means a little more to them than, say, Nickelback, <laughs> you know, who who has a name and can make money basically just by flashing their boobies or whatever. But the one thing that I kind of miss with the old school record store and Tower Records was every store felt like it was a community. You, you, do you know what I mean? Well, the thing that separated Tower so many is, and, I, and this is sort of something that happened with like the Barnes and Nobles and stuff, is that it literally became like a, there were certain. I think they said in Japan there was almost one with seven floors of Tower. Yeah, yeah that's so, right. So you're you're looking at something that's not. It's a record store, but dude, it was massive. You could, if you were looking for something, it was probably there. No matter what it was. And that that's something that's pretty amazing because you go into a record store these days, they're only one floor and, you know, they're probably pretty good. But Tower just made it a fucking event. Like, it was an adventure to get in there. I remember the one in Annapolis that we went to. It had actually an escalator. Went up and down in the middle of it. And that was just, you know... You could sit there and say, well, you're on the bottom floor, and you're like, man, this is a lot. And then you go, oh, wait, they have another floor. And we, we would get lost all the time. Right. Same thing with that big Barnes & Nobles. Uh, for... I think there was a couple of times Neko was, like, on the top floor, and I was doing something in the bottom, and then she would peek over the railing and go, Numerous! Up here! Check this shit out! Look at me! <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, that's where you are. And the fun part was it wasn't just, like, CDs and stuff. Yeah, they got in the movies. Yeah, like, they long movies, before Soundgarden T-shirts, all kinds of, like, just random things. And part of it, though, is the nostalgia for you and I with our early dating. Like, Yeah, we spent a lot of time We spent hours way. and hours there and Barnes and & Noble. And some of our favorite memories are just you know leafing through cds or books i mean even more recent years when we go to white mars you know Gigi will hit up chilies barnes and nobles and then the theater <laughs> so that's <laughs> always like a little thing that we do and the setup's kind of the same but you know without tower record like mostly record stores now just don't exist on that level don't you remember recently um maybe two or three years ago the um was it not Suncoast? Yeah, Suncoast. Yeah, yeah. And I was there. I don't even remember why I was in the mall, but I saw that it was going out of business. And I was not with you. I was probably with my mom or somebody. And I told you, like, Suncoast is going out of business. And Suncoast was a huge store, like, nationally, but. At this point, it was limited to a very few stores left in the country, and one was near us. So, 
I was there just looking at things and texting him going, okay, what do you want? This is on sale. This is on sale. And I got a few things. And then finally, the following weekend, I took him up. And he, I think I just got like got a birthday the, present from my parents, like a money amount of money. And you got like all the James Bonds yeah, I went, and Godzilla. I, I spent well like a hundred bucks. More than a hundred dollars because it was like fifteen DVDs that you purchased easily. And the week before I and it was just sad because that particular mall was where I worked in college and that was kind of like a staple store and it's gone now and so yeah, we never made it back towards it because I know we wanted to go. But there was some sort of like poster or something that we were going to try to grab because it was one of their display posters, right. but, and uh, we were going to we try just, and see if we could buy it from them. Yeah, we just never got back around to that because they were eventually going to just probably let someone have it. But either way, uh, it was a really cool thing. Cool that I can get like the deals that I did, but bad because it, it was a really fun store to be in. Always in every mall that we were, I think. I think Annapolis had one at one time too. I can't remember, but eventually, just I just feel like our past is slipping away. It's depressing. Oh, malls in general are, are going away. I we mean, talked about that too, but it's it's just ugh. maybe I'm just stuck on nostalgia just because of what's happening in my life. But what do kids do? Mm -hmm. like, I mean, it, there's some, like, you know, we talk about East Point. I mean, it's not, I, for that particular mall, it's not, like, the nicest one to be a part of. But, but kids don't even really go to the mall. Like, that's nah, what they you... go out to, now it's, like, strip stuff, like White Mars. That's, you know, that whole thing is very easy for kids to be enjoy, especially during the warmer months. But I don't even see kids doing that as much, like. Oh, I did. <laughs> I remember just that's what you did you just piled into the car and went to the mall and you had no agenda except for hanging out now it could be just depending on the mall like annapolis i think is still one of the more busier malls now uh what's the one that i'm marley that it's, one isn't and uh, that was one of these points not white marsh i think that the well mall no crossed, the mall it? is not but the uh, avenue is i mean for me i loved marley station because one of my favorite stores was Contempo Casuals, and for whatever reason, that was the only mall in the area that had a Contempo Casuals, so that's the whole reason I went to Marley Station over and over again, and sadly, Contempo Casuals is gone. Anyway. Anyway, we're, 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 we're reminiscing too we much. We've gone that rant for a long time. All right, so we're going to get back into back our in music. music. We're going to start a... Uh, Winding this thing down. I do have some new Soul Burn and Black I love Tusk. Soul Burn. So does Herman. Um, Herman gave me my Soul Burn t-shirt. Yeah. Got some new Grave Huffer. I got a new single uh, he sent me over. So I got that coming up. Uh, but we're going to kick off some new Fractal Generator again. This is another track off their new record. It's called Aeon.
Trust me, old man, we are neighbors, and you're listening to Middle Tavern Radio. I have a self-dead get out of my way!
Alright, DJ Nubis, back with you. DJ Neko had to step away, so I'm going to be closing out this show myself. Hope you all enjoyed the topics. Hope you all enjoyed the music. Next week, going to be getting some new stuff out to you. From Contrarian, Corrosive, Dark Tranquility, new stuff from them. Horna, Inquisition, yep, still around. Killer Be Killed, new My Dying Bride, new Nader Sadik. Also got some new tombs as well as a lot, lot more. Hopefully I get more time to get through a lot of that. And uh, set it up for y'all. I do have some stuff from um, the labels and promotional sites that I got to get to as well in there. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Got a lot of good stuff coming your way in the next week or so. Anywho, hope you enjoyed uh, the episode tonight. And uh, we'll see you all next week, all right? Peace out. Enjoy. Here's some future pile to close us out. <laughs>